James chapter 4, as we we're going to be in today. Uh, we're going to look at the first 10 verses. Uh, and today the title of the message is Selfishness versus Selflessness. Did you guys catch that? You guys catch the difference? You guys see it? One is ish, one is ness. Just kidding. But you guys see the difference, right? There's, it's selfishness versus selflessness. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. But today, we're going to look at these two opposing ideas. Um, and we're going to see today that selfishness really has the illusion uh, that you'll get more for yourself if you act in a selfish way. Now, we're all selfish. We're, we're humans. It's, 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 it's a sin thing. It's completely connected. Uh, but some... Uh, live by the motto of selfishness. You see, in reality, when you live by selfishness, you'll be left with nothing, which is absolutely contrary to what the world says. Uh, whenever in, in church we say the world, or when the Bible says the world, uh, in, in this kind of fashion that we're going to look at today, uh, don't think about the mountains and the beach and like the geographical locations. When it's talking about the world in this way, what we're going to look at today, it's talking about the ways of the world. It's talking about the works of the world, the mottos, their, their mantras, their what the worldly people apart from God, how they live their life. You see, the world has a lot of different sayings uh, that it likes to... Um, likes to say. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard a few of them. Uh, you know, like, sayings like, uh, you have to think about numero uno, right? You got you to think about yourself, number one first. Or you have to find yourself. Or uh, some maybe you've heard before, the inward journey is about finding your own fullness. You're like, what are you talking about? It's the idea of survival of the fittest, that you got to think about yourself and knock everyone off else off the cliff. You got you to gotta focus on yourself. There's a quote. It says, focus on your own success and not on other people. You're like, oh my gosh. But this is how the world works. This is how people apart from God, they live. And the reality is, uh, the more you want the more you will be in want. The more you focus on self and try to satisfy yourself with the things of the world, you, the more you will be in want. The more you are willing to let go and the less you will want, sorry, the more you are willing to let go of the things that you want, the Bible says that the more will be given to you. And this is opposite of the way that the world operates. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39 says, He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, whatever you think of the world, that finds your own success and find yourself and just look internally, God works in a very opposite way. One, uh, the Bible describes in James chapter 3, what we were in yesterday, if you keep, or sorry, yesterday, last week, uh, if you go back and, and finish off James chapter 3, which we won't do today, we're going to jump to James 4, as you can see on the screen. Uh, it talks about two different kinds of wisdom, that there is an earthly wisdom, and then there is a heavenly wisdom. Their earthly wisdom is selfishness. It's seeking self, and, and then that is the world's way of wisdom. But then heavenly wisdom is the opposite. It's described as pure, gentle, willing to yield and full of mercy, not thinking about self. And so you have these two opposing ideas. And today uh, we're going to look at we're going to look at three results of selfishness, and we're going to look at look at three results of selflessness. 
Now, not going to be random. We're going to see them in our text. We're going to go through this. And in the midst of this, we're going to see that God has a jealous and a gracious love for us. Let's pray. God, we, we love you. We thank you uh, that you saved us, that you redeemed us. Lord, we thank you that you've uh, saved us from the ways of the world. Lord, we know we still live here and we still struggle with the flesh and struggle with sin. And Lord, so much, Lord, we confess today that we are very selfish people. Lord, but we ask today by the end of the study that you would, you would make us more like you. Lord, you make us more like Jesus, who was the epitome, the, the perfect example of living a selfless life, that you'd help us to follow your example. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so James chapter four, you guys, you guys there in your Bibles? Yeah? All right, so I'm going to read verses one through four, and we're going to see within these four verses three results of living a selfish life. Chapter four, verses one through four, starting in verse one, says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your own desires for pleasure that, that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so we see just this, this progression of absolute selfishness and sin. And he's starting to call out the people he's writing to. And he starts with that first question. Look in verse one. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? And so the first point today that we're going to see, the, the, the first of these three results, uh, number one is division. That selfishness brings division with people. The first result uh, is this division. And it's typically those with we love the most and that we need the most. And the first question, it assumes that there are fights and wars going on. And I don't know about you, when I think of wars and fights, I think of guns and battles and swords and all kinds of different things. But when it says, where, where do wars come from? That's not only the big wars where nations rise against nation, but also in, in our lives. Uh, when it says wars and fights, it's just a clash be between two opposing groups. Raise your hand. Uh, if you have ever had conflict with someone else, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a, in a fight, not a physical one necessarily, but you've ever fought with someone. Totally. Raise your hand if you had conflict with someone today. Okay, already. That's crazy. What about this week? Raise your hand. Do you see how this is a very normal part of our life? But normalcy doesn't make it good. That it seems, man, why, do I, why can't there be world peace? Why can't people just get along? Why can't it just be love and peace and, 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 and it's all good? But why within not only nations, but our individual lives, why are there wars and, and fights? Why is there conflict? What's the reason for this? What's the root of the problem? The root of the problem, guys, is selfishness. It's, look at, 
he, he asks that first question, but then look at verse one. He, he answers it with another question. He says, do they come, do they not come from your desires for pleasure? Do they not come from a selfish inward place? They do every conflict in the world, every war, every fight between mom and dad, every fight between husband and wife, every fight between friend and friend. It comes from selfishness, whether it's from you and, and you're being selfish. And so there's this conflict or whether on their side there's selfishness or even a third party, that there is somewhere the sin of selfishness right there. It says that they come from the desire for pleasure. It's, when it says pleasure, it's not like uh, just happy things. It's, it's a desire for sinful things. That it's that sin desire. And that's, there's this internal war between us, is there not? For being selfish and being selfless. There's parts of us that uh, we, we're just so selfish, but then God has come into our life and he's made us so, uh, he's tried to change us in that area. But there's this internal war raging in our mind and sometimes sin wins, for sure. Romans chapter seven, verse 23 says, but I see another law in my members, warring, warring, fighting against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. Sometimes our selfishness man, just gets the best of us. And this desire, guys, for pleasure, it wages war against the spirit of God within us. Our selfishness fights against God's spirit. And when we choose selfishness instead of selflessness that the spirit offers, then we we will start to see conflict and division within our relationships with the people closest to us. Why is there fighting in your family? It's because of selfishness. It really is. That is the source of division. Why is, there, why is there all this racial fighting in our world? And these groups that are coming against group, and why, is there, why are there all these, these literal wars with bombs and guns? Why is that happening? Selfishness. It all comes back down to that. that what, the first result that we're going to see of selfishness, it brings division. But the second, so number one, it brings division with other people. But second, it brings emptiness within our soul. It brings emptiness within ourselves. It not only brings division, but the second thing is it brings uh, emptiness within our soul. Look at verse two. It says, you lust and do not have. Empty. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. Empty. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Empty. It brings emptiness. Uh, if you go through these different things, it says you lust. It means strong or selfish desire. He says you lust and you don't have, and you murder, meaning literally to premeditate to kill someone. You're like, well, I don't do that. Okay, what about the next thing? Do you covet? Selfishness. Yet we do all these things in the gain, in the thinking, in the mindset of that we're going to get more, right? We, we lust after certain things and we have these sinful desires because we, we think it's going to satisfy us. Sometimes people literally murder each other to the point of where that fight gets obviously out of hand because they think that that's going to accomplish something. That we covet, meaning we're jealous of what other people have because we want that thing for ourselves. And so this jealousy enrages as you fight and you war. It means that, there's, that we get into arguments with one another. That there's verbal lashes out at one another. Why do we think that? Why do we do that? It's because of our selfish nature. And we do all these things because we think it's going to get us what we want. 
But I want to tell you guys today that when you strive to be satisfied by what you think you want, in the end, when it's sin, you'll be left with more, you'll be left in more want than when you, when you started. That that feeling of emptiness will only grow. That some people, they feel so empty inside and so they, they start taking things into their own hands and they're trying to fill it with all kinds of different things, whether that's arguing with someone, whether that's stealing, whether that's whatever it might be, big things, small things, and you start to feel it, but it seems when you start to feel it with the things of the world, the, the whole only grows. The emptiness only becomes greater. It's been said before uh, that there is nothing in this world so empty as getting what you want. Catch that? It says there is nothing in this world so empty as getting what you want. And it's true. Some, some people who have everything they could ever imagine, yet they're empty. Millions, millionaires of, man, they, they could buy anything they want. They don't have to work a day in their life, yet they're empty. You see, the things of the world, they do not bring satisfaction, but they actually only create a bigger void, a bigger sense of emptiness. And here God says that if you would simply ask, look at, look at verse three, it says you ask, He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And then verse three, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on yourself. Isn't it crazy that selfishness can have such a hold on our life that even in our prayers, we're praying in a sinful way. That's crazy that you could pray in a way that would be actually that that you're praying things, but it's only because you want these sinful desires to be accomplished in your life. And God says, I will not answer those types of prayers. You see, God will never answer a prayer that is based on self-satisfaction of sin. That God, is, God will always satisfy what you need. But those sinful desires, those are supposed to be done away with at the cross. And so we see that, number one, selfishness brings division. Man, it, it causes all kinds of havoc. Number two, it causes emptiness within yourself. That feeling of just absolute despair. And number three... It creates separation with God. You see, the, you see the three categories with people, with yourself, and with God. Selfishness brings havoc to, your, to our lives. Look at verse 4. It says, uh, James calls them two different names. He's talking to the ladies, and he's talking to the men, and he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. This is very intense. If, if my Bible has an exclamation point. I don't know if that's, you know, just from the... I believe that's from the, the text of the, the seriousness of what he's saying. That he's calling them adulterers. Do you guys know what an adulterer is? Yeah. I'll say it. It's someone who cheats on their spouse, spouse with another person. It's someone who's married but then gets together with someone who is, who is not their wife, who is not their spouse, who is not their wife or their husband. And yet, do you think when James is writing and he's calling them adulterers, do you think it's because they're, they're sleeping around with people they shouldn't? No, it's actually not. It may have been, but what he's saying here, he's calling them adulterers against God. They are cheating against God. They are having an affair with the world against God. And he's calling them these things because he says that they are friends with the world. 
Now, when, when you think, oh, there's friends with the world, it's not a big deal. No, when it says friends, it means that there is a deep level of commitment and association, that there is a deep love for the world, and that he's saying that they are committing spiritually a, a spiritual adultery against God, that they're cheating against God. The commitment, just like a man makes a commitment to a woman, or a woman makes a commitment to a man in marriage, we have made a commitment to God. And for the people that James is writing to, he's saying those, those commitments that you've made by your selfishness and associating with the world and the world's ways, he's saying you are cheating on God. It's a very serious and horrible thing. And selfishness will always lead us to an affair with the world. By loving the world, you are betray- betraying God. And not loving the world like I love to go to the beach. And so because I love the beach and the beach is in the world, I'm, I'm betraying God. No, it's, it's talking about the way the world works, right? Like we talked about in the beginning, the selfish aspect. And when we start to budding up to the world in this way, it's not good. First John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, meaning the world's ways, this is how they work, the lusts of the flesh, self, the lusts of the eyes, self, and the pride of life, self, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And you see selfishness, it says that it, it makes you an enemy with God, that it brings separation. Selfishness brings separation. Everyone say that. Selfishness brings separation. It does. It brings division with people. It brings emptiness in yourself. And more importantly, and most uh, seriously, it brings separation with you and God. It brings that separation with you and the Lord. And so the result of this selfishness is serious. And you might be sitting here like, wow, this is a really bummer of a message. I'd agree so far, except for the second part, except for verses five and six. We're going to see that in the midst of of our depravity. What does that mean? It means the midst of just our helplessness, that we are so sinful, we are so selfish, that in the midst of that, God meets us with his gracious and his jealous love. That God meets us with his jealous and his gracious love. Look at verses five and six. It says, or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Verse six, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, even in the midst of our selfishness, God is there meeting us with a jealous and gracious love. Now, do you, it says, or do you think that the scripture says in vain? Meaning, do you think that the Bible says for no reason? Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that for you and for I, those who are his children, that God has a very passionate and fiery love for us. I know it might sound weird. You might only think of a passionate love between a husband and a wife, but for you, that God looks at you and his love for you is passionate. It is fiery. It is, it is what the Bible would describe as, as hot, that it is jealous. And we might think of, we only think of the negative aspects of jealousy, Right? Like, oh man, jealousy, that's, that's not very good. You don't want to, you, you know, uh, be jealous of what someone else has. But there is a very positive sense to the word jealously. You see, for, for a husband and a wife, if a husband 
cheats on a wife or a wife cheats on a husband, would it be wrong and sinful for the one that got cheated on for them to be jealous of what happened? For them to be jealous of their husband and their wife and, and wanting them to come back to them? No, that's very, that is called love. Your parents, they have a jealous love for you. Meaning that if you were to never spend time with them and never think, think of them or, or love them or, or be around, they would be, they would be jealous of your time being spent with other things. That they would want that affection from you. They would want that love from you. And God is, has a love for you in a very similar way. That he actually desires your affection. He desires your love. That he loves you in this way, but he only, he's saying, come to me. He wants that love from you. Jealous, uh, sorry, I want to share with you Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. It's part of the Ten Commandments, and we find this concept of, of God's jealous love for us. It's in the second commandment about a not bowing down to any other idol. And it says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I am the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. He is jealous for us. He doesn't want us to spend our time in the worship of anything else or anyone else, including ourselves. See, some people, they live a life that, that who, who is their God? It's themselves. That it's all about what they want, that they live for themselves. But you and I, God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to live for him. Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, it's a warning uh, for the future. And he says, for you shall worship no other God, similar concept to the other verse, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. That God would say my, one of his names within the Bible that we can find, his name is jealous. It's not a side thing. It's a central focus that God's love is jealous, that he would get angry in a sense if we were to uh, worship other things. But the anger is good. It's, it's a healthy thing. He loves us. This is why, guys, he's put his spirit within us. Uh, jealous, you can, you can define it as a fiercely protective and unaccepting of disloyalty. That it's fiercely protective and it's unaccepting of disloyalty. That he loves you guys so much that when selfishness starts to consume our lives, that he doesn't want that division in your family. He doesn't want the division that there is in the world. He doesn't want that emptiness in your soul. He doesn't want it to be there. The separation that he has that, that comes because of our selfishness, he doesn't want us to be there. He loves us too much to let us sit in our sin. And he will pursue us. And that's why as a believer, right, he puts his Holy Spirit in us so that the times that we try to run away from God and the times that we try to not care about, about the things of him and start dabbling in other things, that's why his spirit's in us to kind of knock on our heart and say, hey, hey, I don't want you to do that. He's there to keep us in check. That's why uh, the saying can go that the, the most miserable person in the world is someone who knows God yet is running from God. Why? Because God is on a pursuit of him. Because the spirit is inside that person. And though they're rebelling for, to God for a time, that God loves them so much. Isn't that assuring? Isn't that, isn't that, doesn't that bring comfort to you? It does for me. That knowing that even if I ever wander from the Lord, that God won't let you go because he's jealous towards you. Does that make sense? Does anyone not understand that? You guys get that, right? It's awesome. And we should thank the Lord for this. But the awesome thing is that, is that God meets our selfishness 
But when the Spirit of God comes into our life, He begins to turn the selfishness into selflessness. That in our selflessness, He meets us with grace. Do you guys know what grace means? It means to get something you don't really deserve. And we don't deserve it because we are selfish people. Yet God not only has a jealous love for us, but he has a gracious love. Look at verse six. It says, but he gives more grace. That God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So circle in your Bibles if you guys have your own, not if you're borrowing one, where it says, but he gives more grace. That he gives more grace, but he gives those he gives that grace. He meets us in the midst of our selfishness, for sure, with that jealous and, and, and gracious love. But as we humble ourselves, as we're willing to let ourselves go and come to the Lord, God says, I will begin to change you. I will begin to give you power, and I will begin to give you purpose. And I just want to note for you guys, if you look at verse 6, it talks about God resists the proud. God resists the proud. That selfishness and pride, though, are completely intertwined. That you can't have one without the other. That if you're acting prideful, it's, it's from a root of selfishness. If you're acting selfishness, there is no doubt pride in the midst of it. That they go hand in hand. But what, is, what does this grace look like as we begin to humble ourselves? And, and how does God start to change our selfishness to selflessness. How do we start to go from the sinner to looking more like Jesus? Well, uh, I just want to share a quote with you. It's from C.S. Lewis. It says, uh, at this very moment, this very moment in time where you guys are sitting there, I'm standing here. It says, in every moment, at this very moment, you and I are either doing one of three things. Number one, we're either committing selfishness, meaning some of you guys right now are acting very selfish whether you're not listening or you're messing around or whatever it might be, that you're either acting selfish even in church or number two, you're about to act selfish. So maybe not here, but you're going to go home and sure, sure take on the selfish sin. So you're either committing it now, you're about to, or you're repenting of it. That this is a cycle in our life. But how do we start to go from selfishness to selflessness? How does God do that? He does it through his grace that we don't deserve it, but he starts to give us things. He starts to give us power. He starts to give us presence, and he starts to give us purpose. Look at, we're going to look at, just like we looked at three results, right? Do you guys remember the three results of selfishness, division, emptiness, separation? So now we're going to look at three results of living a life of selflessness, meaning the opposite of selfishness. What does that look like as we begin to humble ourselves and do that where does God meet us in that? What does he do? How does he do it? Well, let's look at verses 7 through 10. Look in your Bibles. It says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And so we see three results of living this self, selfless life. And number one, God gives us power over principalities. 
God gives us power over principalities. And you're like, what is a principality? Uh, it's just another word for darkness, for the demonic world that rules the world that we live in. Uh, you'll see in the Bible, you'll read about how Satan is known as the prince of the power of the air, that, that there are certain powers and principalities of darkness that rage against our world and against your soul, that Satan really wants the worst for you guys. He really does, but God wants the best. But God, as we submit to him, and as we're willing to say, okay, I'm going to set aside my desires, Lord, and I'm going to humble myself. Help me to get rid of my selfishness. God will give us the power over darkness, over principalities. He says that if you submit to God, meaning you're willing to humble yourself and obey him, that you're willing to obey God no matter what, which takes humility and it takes selflessness. Because there's going to be times where God's going to ask you to do something that you don't want to do. But if you're willing to submit to God and resist the devil, meaning you put your hand out towards him, that, there, that you are in opposition against him, you don't go in the ways of the world, that you say no to the allurements and the temptations that are here. He says that the, the power that once had you in its grips, that you were following after the way of the world, which is the way of the wicked one, that the, the thing that had you in its grips now will flee from you. It says Satan will actually flee from you. How is that even possible? It's not because of you. It's because of the, the work that God does. That he gives us the power to say no. That he gives us the power to resist. And he says that he will flee. It means to run away quickly and escape. How does God do that? Well, we work with him in this. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 says, Nor give place to the devil. And Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That as we submit to God and we're obedient to what he's telling us to do, that not because of how powerful you are, but Satan will flee. That the hold that sin has and selfishness has on your life will begin to crumble. But it doesn't come without that humility that as we humble ourselves, not seeking what we want, God gives us the power to shut the door on Satan's face and tell him to take a hike. First John 4.4, 4, uh, look at it. It says that, this is John writing, he says, you are of God, little children, and because you are of God, you have overcome them, those things in the world, the darkness, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This is, we can take comfort in this, knowing that as God begins to change our selfishness to selflessness. Oh, it's awesome. That he starts to give us power in our lives. That when there's a lack of power, it's always a result of sin. It's always a result of selfishness. And so not only do we get power over principalities and God starts to change us, but number two, that God gives us a promise of his presence. That God gives us a promise of his presence. And the second result here is that we see that selflessness, uh, of the self, selflessness that God gives us this promise. Look at verse 8. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Super simple. Super simple. That as you draw near to God, that he will draw near to you. He will begin to give you power. He will begin to give you the ability to say no. And he will begin to change this selfish attitude in you. This is a work of the Lord that he does in us. As we move towards him, 
he moves towards us and he does a work in our heart. But uh, there's this part of this drawing near to God. What does that look like? Like, do we just walk somewhere and, okay, now we're closer to God? No, look at the next part of the verse. It says, he talks about uh, that we are to cleanse our hands and to purify our hearts. He calls them sinners. He says, you guys are acting sinful in this selfish way. You're, you're being double-minded. It means to have literally two minds. To act one way one second, act another way another second. I believe here in this room, there's some of you guys that you're double-minded. That at times you act this one way and you're for the Lord. And then other times uh, you're, you're walking in the ways of the Lord. Uh, the world, sorry. That you're starting uh, to take on that, that selfish attitude and you only care about yourself. God says tonight, this morning to cleanse your hands and to purify your hearts. It's with hands that we do sin. It's with our hearts where the, the sin begins. And God says cleanse and purify. It's a removal and getting rid of. That we're not to go back and forth between the world and God. Psalm 24, I want to share with you guys. It's an awesome psalm. Psalm 24, verses 3 through 5. It says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? Meaning, who is worthy to be with God? Well, none of us are worthy, but the only person that's going to be able to be in the presence of God is he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation." You see, the clean hands and the pure heart, it goes back to loyalty. Right after it says clean hands and pure heart, it says, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol or to anything else other than God. This morning, are you being loyal to God? Are you showing him loyalty in your life? You see, we're to be, there should be a certain level that we are to be wrecked over our sin. That this selfish attitude that we, that we all struggle with, that God asks us to be wrecked over it. Look at, look at verse 9. He says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That there is a certain level of our selfishness that, that should absolutely break us. That there's a certain heaviness to our sin. There, there really is. But as we begin to be broken by our sin, that means God doesn't have to break us. And it's a good thing because in that moment, God can come in and he can start to put the pieces back together. Remember, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble or to those who are broken before him. God will meet that person with grace. And as we draw near to God and determine our loyalty for him and are broken for, of our sin, because of our sin, it's then that God, the promise of his presence is right there. And he will begin now to put the pieces back. That that selfishness that brought emptiness and division and separation, he'll start putting the pieces back together and forming you and making you something brand new. And so not only a result of, of selflessness that God does in us as a power over principalities and the promise of his presence, but my personal favorite is a position of purpose. The third result that we see here is that of selflessness is that God will put us in a position of purpose. Think about this word purpose. This is what so many 
cling to in life. They want to know their purpose. Maybe, maybe you are in a similar fashion, that you just want to know your purpose in life. What are, you, what are you supposed to do here? What is the purpose of your life? Whether it's you guys now or when you get older, you'll, you'll try to, you're going to be figuring out what, what are you doing here? You see, God is the only one that can give us a purpose that is anything meaningful. And it says, humble yourselves. Look at verse 10. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. To humble yourself. You guys know, I mean, I know I've been talking about it, but what do you guys think? What, is, what does humility mean? To humble yourself before God. What, what does that even, what does that mean? To act in a way of, of humility. What do you guys think? How do you, act, how do you be humble? How do you act in a humble way? Yeah. Okay, for sure. Care for others is good. What else? Yeah. Show empathy for people? Totally. You guys know what empathy is? It's not, it's, 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 there's empathy and sympathy. Empathy is when you've gone through it and now you can really relate to the person and, and, and really have compassion on them. And some people, we haven't gone through everything and so we have sympathy for people. Totally. Feel put ourselves in the place of what other people are feeling, totally. You see, some people think humility is just thinking lower of yourself. I'm just gonna, I'm the worst person in the world and oh my gosh, I don't look at me because I'm so bad. See, that's not humility. Humility is not, not thinking low of yourselves. It's just not thinking about yourselves at all. It's starting to have vision for other people and for God and, and not caring about what you care about, but caring about what other people care about, what God cares about. And it's in this moment that you're willing to say that and do that, that God will lift you up. You see, humility is the opposite of selfishness. And pride is the essence of selfishness. Did you guys get that? selfishness. It's the exact opposite of humility. But pride, thinking you have it all together, thinking it's all about you, uh, that is the very essence of, of selfishness. And it says to lift you up, that God will lift us up. It means to exalt someone or to raise to a place of honor and blessing. You see, we miss out on so many blessings of God in the pursuit to try and bless ourselves. And you miss out I miss out. We miss out. When we, try to, when we try to bless ourselves and, oh my gosh, I want this and this and that and the other, God says, you're holding on to something and I can't place something in your hand. I can't put it in your life because you're, you're pursuing after those things yourselves. But in the moment where you're willing to let go of what you want, God says, I will, I will lift you up. I will put you to a place of honor and blessing that you have not yet experienced. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12 says, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That God will place you in a position of purpose and honor and blessing, but you have to be willing to let go of yourself. God says in the pursuit to find yourself, you'll lose it. In the pursuit to exalt yourself, you will be humbled. That you will be, you guys know what the word humbled means, right? We just talked about it, but think about humiliation. That if you're not willing to become low, then, then you, will, you will be made low. And you can go to the, ne- the last slide, Kayla. 
It's just a good picture. I don't know why it's just a good picture for me, but it's a different translation. But just humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you or lift you up. You see, the gray is our part and the, and the orange is, 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 is the Lord's part. And there's a good visual for us to see. It was once said, guys, that no man is cheated more than the selfish man. That, they, that the selfish person cheats them, themselves out of a life of blessing. And I want to encourage you guys tonight as we closing in a second. I want to give you guys an opportunity. Don't close your Bibles yet. Don't, don't put anything away. Don't cheat yourself out of the life that God would so want to give you. It's so much better. And I can tell you that from experience. I can tell you that from living a life uh, absolutely focused on what I want and my desires, and you're left with nothing. But when you let the Lord and you say, God, I, I give you my life, right? We always, we always talk about that in church, right? We're supposed to give our life to Christ. What does that mean? It means that we give him our desires and our wants and what we want for our life. And we say, God, here's my life. Uh, do, it, what, do with it what you want. And God says, I will bring blessing. I will bring honor and I will bring goodness to your life. Will it be difficult? No doubt. But God says, I will give you power. I will be right there with you, and I will give you purpose. And that's something that nothing can match. Nothing can match that. Uh, you can hit the lights. I want to give you guys an opportunity. Uh, you see, Jesus is the perfect example of living a selfless life. Think about it. Think about Jesus' life and what he did for us. Jesus did not one time act in a selfish way. It's amazing. Think about his three years of ministry that we can see in the Gospels that he spent and spent and spent time and he was about healing others and sharing about the Gospel and the kingdom of God and he was, he was willing to spend hours with people and, and touch lepers and heal them, to touch people that were blind and that, so that they could see, that he was willing to hang out with the lowest in society so that they could be saved, that Jesus lived a selfish life, self, selfless life. And we see that absolutely shown in the cross, don't we? Think about Jesus dying on the cross. That is the most selfless act that anyone has ever portrayed. That in his cross, because of what he did, he was innocent, yet he took this punishment for us. He took our selfishness and our sin upon that cross for us. He took the punishment for us. And so the best way that we can respond to that is to give up our selfishness, is to give up our sin and say, God, I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to not live my life for myself, but live my life for you. Have you guys ever heard that, that we're to live our life for God? That's what we're to do. Why? Because he gave his life so that we could live our life. Not live our life for sin, but live our life for the Lord. And so I want to ask you a question. You guys can close your eyes. Are you living for the Lord? Are you living for him? Or are you living for yourself? The things you do, the people you speak to, what you put your efforts and energy towards is all for, you, for what satisfies and what makes you happy? Guys, if you continue down that road, 
you will be left empty. You will be left with relationships that are broken. You will be left separated from the God who made you. But if you're willing to come and to submit yourself to the Lord and to humble yourself and let him live through you, you will find no greater joy. You will find no greater satisfaction. And it will be the best decision that you could ever make. And so I just want to give you guys an opportunity, uh, not for salvation. If you guys have never given your life to the Lord, you guys can keep your eyes closed. If you guys have never given your life to the Lord, uh, come and find me after service, okay? And you're like, man, I want to follow Jesus. I, I don't want to be away from God in hell. I, I want my sins forgiven. Uh, don't leave today without coming and talking to me. But I believe most of you maybe are saved or uh, I don't know. But it's feeling led to give you an opportunity. Those that maybe you love the Lord and that you're saved and you're definitely going to heaven, but you're living a life today about yourself and not about the Lord. You see, this is where the difference come in. The world, they live for themselves because they don't think about eternity. But you and I, are we thinking about eternity? And so tonight, if, sorry, tonight, I keep saying tonight. This morning, if God is convicting your heart and you just want to repent, meaning to turn away from selfless, selfishness and turn towards the Lord, you guys can keep your eyes closed. I just want you to raise your hand. I just want to raise your hand. If God would convict you in any way today of, of living that selfish life and you want to start living the selfless life, just raise your hand. It's awesome. You guys can put your hands down. God, we come before you and Lord, I pray for these that Lord, you spoke to and convicted and Lord, moved. Lord, may it not just be something that stays here. Lord, may the things that you spoke to them this morning not be something that they leave in this room, but that they take with them as they leave. Lord, we know and we trust that uh, we, Lord, we can't do it in ourselves. We're so in, uh, inherently, Lord, evil and wicked. Lord, we need you. And so for these in this room, Lord, would you do start a new work in their life? Lord, would you start a new work this morning? Lord, that they would no longer live for themselves, but they would live for you in, in everything. And you would start to give them power. You would start to give them purpose, and that you would bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.